Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. But the whole thing about executive presence is that you inspire confidence. You are able to build trust. If you have executive presence, then people trust that what you're saying is informed. They trust that you will carry through on what you promise to do, that you will hold yourself and others accountable. It's all about building trust in you as a leader. Hey U-Turners, it's Ash here and I'm so excited to bring you someone really, really skilled in the work category today and that is Laura Camacho. She is a culture fixer. She's a consultant who helps companies create really healthy cultures, a better bottom line. And before we started recording, she was saying that means that they feel, you know, people feel seen, heard, understood, and there's so much to creating a healthy culture. And what I wanted to ask her about today was what is an executive presence and how do you cultivate one within yourself so that you're seen and positioned for bigger opportunities and better opportunities? And she also has three different communication hats you can wear that I want to make sure I ask her about. Laura, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, my goodness, I'm so happy to be on this. We're on opposite ends of the country, I think. I'm in Charleston, and you are on the other side of of our country. So it's great, great to be here. Yeah, I I heard that Charleston uh, is like a romantic place to visit. Oh, definitely. But we have a bit of an attitude problem because both (laughs) of the Revolutionary War and the Civil War basically started in Charleston. So we are (laughs) people have kind of um, a a lot of pride in in the in being from Charleston. I was born near here, not in Charleston, but it's a beautiful city, charming, great food lovely beach. His history is beautiful. That's so interesting to know. Yeah. It's been on my list and, um, it's definitely somewhere that I plan to go in the coming years. And, and I know that, um, you've had quite a journey. Like I saw in your bio, you have a PhD and you've traveled the world. You've done some of Stephen Covey's facilitation around the seven habits. Uh, what brought you into this level of devotion? Because if I'm being candid, Laura, I, have been at this for 10 years, but I didn't pursue the traditional route of an MBA and a PhD. And I always find women like you really um, fun to have a conversation with because you have so much, you've, you've looked at this work through a different lens. So really excited. Yes. Well, my path has also been not traditional because of all the 
well, I was married to a Venezuelan man that I met in in uh, graduate school. And so that immediately, as a young professional, put me into a developing country. Of course, Venezuela was not is not was not the chaos that it is today, but it was still very different. There were product shortages and it, you know blackouts all the time, price controls. It was just such a a, a crazy world. But I've always been good at. Uh, academics. And so, you know, every time I didn't know what to do with myself, I would go get a degree or go study or get certified enough to facilitate something. But in this path, I I began to see, especially in Latin America, um, that, oh, first of all, people have to understand that I am a card carrying introvert. Like Mm -hmm. if I were independently wealthy, I would be a morbidly obese librarian, just sitting, just working in the library and eating dark chocolate with salty, salty caramel, maybe, and drinking coffee. I mean, I just love to read. I love to daydream. If any of you remember the the childhood book, uh, Ferdinand the Bull, I mean, that was me. I was, I'm not competitive. Uh, in high school, I was on the swim team and, I don't know. I just, I just wasn't motivated to like beat the next person. I'm always competing against myself or not really competing, but like cultivating myself and other people. I, I think we all have so much potential and we don't know what that potential is. So that's, that question has been what has led me, oh, this is what an MBA, this is an MBA, this is what people know about businesses. And then, oh, the step, seven habits of highly effective people, that's such a powerful framework. I also mm-hmm. learned Spanish and German and French along the way, but always in pursuit of this, you know, almost an intellectual question rather than, you know, win, 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 go faster, beat the other person. So it's just been a winding path. I had three kids along the way. They are now uh, in their early 20s. No one's gone to jail yet. So I consider that to be the mark of a successful mother. Um, So, you know, when my kids were little, I was teaching at the university because that was a very compatible job. And I had followed my husband to different cities. So in a way, it was the very old school path of combining work with spending time with the kids. And then in the way it was being a very independent minded person who was like, well, you know what, I'm not going to just be some part time faculty making 32 K a year with no benefits, which was what the pay was, I'm going to take what I know and what I've learned and help companies and coach young women and men who introverts mostly uh, to to be seen, to be heard, to be more visible. And that's mm-hmm. really been my sweet spot as far as helping people. The people who are doing incredible work, they're amazingly smart, but they just don't feel like they're getting their point across. And and I think that companies, you know, the, the, it's so much easier to listen to the people who have an easier time chatting, you know, than to try to draw out the more quieter people in the company. Okay. So first of all, you just have such a fun energy. I can imagine you to be a very fun mom (laughs) and you've you've had all these adventures. 
and and it's always really fun when I hear somebody that this get with this kind of energy that is helping companies with their cultures because you sound so yourself and I think in a lot of corporate cultures people feel like they can't be themselves like what are your thoughts on like how much vulnerability or emotion to share in the workplace well, it's something you want to like be in the driver's seat. And one of the tools I teach, because we, we do want not to be robots. We want to bring ourselves to the office. I think everyone should have a workspace that they personalize, that they should dress in a way that reflects their personality and that they should, you know, be vulnerable. But that's a very scary thing to do. But if you, and one way to channel that is to think about your points of view, because what, and this is something that I learned from, you know, I have scars from, from being rejected as quote unquote leadership material because for six years I worked in a very large hospital and, you know, I already had my PhD. This is when I had just started my company and the economy bailed. So I was running the company and working. And I was, I, at one point after being there a couple of years, interviewed for a very low level uh, supervisory of training position or manager position. And was, they said, oh, Laura, you don't have the, uh, what is it they say? You, you don't have the leadership experience. That's how they always get you, right? When they don't want to give you something. You don't have this experience, even though to, of course you don't because you haven't had that job before. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I learned that's just something they say. They feel like you're not ready. And it's because I had not, people didn't know my points of view about what, how training should go and what are the problems. I had not shared like a, a forward moving vision from my place in the organization of where things needed to go. I was focused on doing my job. And that's a trap that people fall into. They're, they're great at doing their job. But if they don't share a point of view, which is involves vulnerability, because you might be saying something that other people don't like. Mm-hmm. That's why people, you know, it is, it is risky. I mean, Cicero, way back in ancient Rome, got his head cut off for, because he was presenting a point of view. You know, in a lot of countries, people get jailed for presenting a point of view. And in companies, you can get in trouble for if your point of view conflicts with a, a powerful person in the organization. Nevertheless, you know, it's like, that's why I've developed, like my whole life's work is developing tools to help people advance their point of view, advance their agendas to make in their view of making the world a better place. But it, you have to, you have to have courage and you have to, you know, there's no people sometimes ask me for like, what can I do? that is completely risk free. Well, there's not, not nothing fun. <laughs> nothing yeah. fun is in that box. Yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point because it kind of makes me think a little bit about like my friends who had like the cool parents, which I had really sweet parents growing up, but my friends would have like the cool parents and you'd always have so much fun with the parent, but then sometimes the parent would like overshare something. And in those moments you were like, Oh, I wish they didn't tell me that. Like it kind of feels like the workplace, like things are fun and you can bond. And then sometimes somebody will share something that the other person doesn't really know what to do with. And so it's really helpful to kind of think about being in the driver's seat. Um, are there certain topics that you kind of 
as a rule of thumb, think to yourself, like, these are just kind of like ones to think a little more deeply about before you unwind them, you know? Oh, I think your personal life, I mean, the details of that, you don't need to bring those to the office. I know some people like to, but a lot of people are not interested, don't care, um, unless you can tie it into uh, a message that you're giving or, you know, unless you are developing a friendship. And it's good to have friends at work. So if you have a friend, of course, you can talk to that person as you would have, have any friend. But if it's team pe- members, people that you work with on an everyday basis, I am, you know, it could be the introvert in me, but I keep that I would just think, how is this going to impact? How does this help others if I share this? Like, how mm-hmm. is this helpful? And if it is helpful because you had this experience and you learned something, then good, share that. Mm-hmm. Even if it involves, you know, a boyfriend or a vacation or something person. But if if other people don't really have a benefit from your story, then you don't really need to be sharing that unless it's just, you know, your friends and it's in a kind of quasi friendly context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really, really helpful to think about that. And I know when we think about an executive presence, like you and I were kind of talking before we started recording about like what it means and how people kind of think of it. What do you, how do you define and and feel like you're in somebody's executive presence. Like, what do you think that really means for everybody listening so that they can kind of reflect on, do they even have that right now? Yes. Well, and and you might have it one day and not another, and you might have it in one meeting room, but not another. So it's that ability to bring that executive presence in any uh, context. That's where the skill is. and, And that's something that, you know, you don't, it's not like you buy a pair of shoes and as long as you wear these shoes, you've got it. Although that could, th- you could try it, see if it works. But the whole thing about executive presence is that you inspire confidence. You ins- you are able to build trust. If you have executive presence, then people trust that what you're saying is informed. They trust that you will carry through on what you promise to do, that you will hold yourself and others accountable. It's all about building trust in you as a leader. And mm-hmm. like it, what happens normally is that you, f- you do have executive presence in certain groups because you know the people, they know you, you've worked together and you're mm-hmm. relaxed. And then you get asked to present to the C-suite, you know, the boss of your boss of your boss asks you to present on something and they don't know you and you don't know them. And like, that's, that's a situation where you, you know, want to really put some thought into how can I inspire trust, maybe doing some research on the people you would be speaking to, but really thinking, you know, how can I present myself in a way that inspires trust and confidence. Mm, okay. And are there a couple things that from a communication standpoint, I know you have three communication hats. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you see people do or what are some hats that you're seeing people wear that seem to deepen this sense of executive presence? Well, the hats are a way of thinking about uh, your communication about your work because Ooh, as right. you, 
Yeah, as you, you know, in your career, when you're first hired, you're doing the job, you're at the front line, you're the account manager or the sales rep or the customer service rep, you are doing the work. And then mm-hmm. you're leading people who are doing the work and then you're leading the leaders. And so the thing with this transition is that nobody tells you that you have to actually be publicizing what you're doing. Because today, work is changing. It's so dynamic that your boss probably doesn't even know how to do your job. And your job may have changed today, especially today. It may be different from what you were hired to do or when you accepted this position. Like the job just morphed Mm. to meet the demands of of, uh, whatever market you're in. You know, healthcare has changed a lot. Or you may be with a, a startup that's changed a lot. There are different, the technology is always changing. Uh, you may have, may have lost people on your team and have had to recalibrate. So there's all this change. And so people are up the food chain. They need you to be telling them about your work in a, in a way that they can digest it. So that's, that's the hat of public relations. And so public relations is building key relationships and giving in those relationships, seeding your points of view in the form of talking points. So that public relations hat really dovetails nicely with executive presence. So one way to think about if you have a scary meeting and you want to, you know, really exude this executive presence, well, then you would put on your public relations agent hat and say, who's going to be in that meeting? Who can I develop a relationship with at least the beginning of one? How can I present what I think really needs to be done about the issue I'm presenting on in a way that I get the resources that I need? Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. So when you think about this particular hat, what are some things that that kind of person is saying verbally that makes you think, oh, they're wearing this hat? Well, the thing is, nobody else is going to know. It's just for you. Like, say you're a senior engineer mm-hmm. and nobody's thinking about you wearing a public relations hat. <laughs> they would be like, what? But if you're that senior engineer and you have this scary meeting, you tell yourself, I'm going to wear my public relations hat and I am going to build relationships. I'm going to talk to people that I don't know. I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to tell them about this issue in a way that's organized and concise And I'm going to also weave in my point of view so that when the the people in this room have conversations and I'm not there, I'm influencing how they talk about me, my team, and my work Mm -hmm. because I put on the public relations hat. Got it. No, no, no engineer learns about that. No financial executive learns about that. I mean, maybe uh, a technical person may have had a public speaking class in college, but that whole idea of building your platform of influencing people inside your industry, inside your company, that is where I find once you just start doing that a little bit, 
people take notice and they see you differently. And I've seen it over and over and over again with my clients that the, the coaching clients, I do have, it's a smaller part of my business and the culture fixing, but I do coach uh, some uh, mid like managing director, senior director up through vice president of a, of companies. And that is just, it changes the trajectory of their careers because it changes the way they see themselves, which changes the way other people see you. It's so cool. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Okay. So you kind of have that public relations hat. And then what is another hat that you kind of acknowledge through your work that you think is really impactful uh, for people in their career? Well, there's two other hats. There's three communication hats in total. The you know the public relations hat is one, which is building the key relationships and developing your talking points, which is you know your points of view. What do you think needs to be happening? What concerns you? You know your leadership from where you are in the organization. So the other hat. There are two other hats. One is kind of the basic communication coach. So that means you need to be coaching yourself to be a good communicator, like uh, online and off inside your company and maybe at conferences for your industry. And if you lead a team, you need to be coaching the people that work on your team, like how to speak up, how to give a presentation, how to uh, speak an inconvenient truth, how to seek feedback how to receive feedback, all those qualities. And as you, and as you the, say you're you know, um, a financial ma- managing director, as you coach your team in these qualities, you become better. That's why my whole life is about helping people communicate better because I was a terrible communicator. I just didn't even... I was, I was just thinking that everything was so obvious, you know, like teenagers that, oh, it's so obvious. Well, no, nothing is obvious. And especially today with everybody being so distracted, you have to connect the dots for people. So you connect mm-hmm. the dots when you put on your public relations hat, you connect the dots when you put on your communication coach hat. And then the third hat is the event planner. And I don't mean that you're literally going to plan the company picnic. What I mean is to create space for you and other people to speak their truth. This is where being vulnerable, where people can be vulnerable and ask questions that are uncomfortable and that you as the event planner, either you or you find the person who has you know, check writing ability or the ability to give solid answers, uh, you facilitate that communication so that people can flag issues. But, you know, a garden variety way of thinking of this, because you're thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds scary, planning this event. It's creating a space for people to voice their opinions because you don't you don't want to have like everybody whining all the time either, right? You don't want just to encourage complaining, but you you know, if something is wrong and maybe you you're not in a place to see it yourself, you need somebody to tell you and they need to feel comfortable telling you, "Hey, Ashley, there's a problem here and that you're not going to, you know, bite their head off." Mm-hmm. So, it's like you could have office hours once a week or once a month 
where, you know, it's ask me anything Friday from 10 to 11, just drop by. And that's also a, could be a time for relationship building and for having those, you know, more casual conversations. Or okay. if you have an issue, you could, you know, have another event. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. So kind of to clarify here for everybody, because I know we've got note takers listening, we've got the PR hat, the communication hat, and the event planner hat. That's correct, mm -hmm. right? The communication okay. coach hat is the second Okay, one. communication coach hat. And um, what are some communication tools that, and you talked about, you know, taking feedback, giving feedback. What are some other tools that you're seeing for somebody who's kind of wearing that communication coach hat? Oh my gosh. Well, to me, the most powerful ones, and, and let me just tell you that I like low hanging fruit that really gives pays off. And so I, and I guess it's maybe it's because I'm a little bit lazy. Like I like to have just things that work easily that don't require a lot of work. So mm -hmm. here, here's a tool about feedback that just totally changes the game. It's something I teach about a lot. And as somebody, I, you know, we all hate you know, for somebody to say or to, to unload on us. And, but we know intellectually, intellectually that we all have blind spots, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all doing the best that we can with what we know and we want to get better, but we are a little bit uh, protective, a little bit, you know, guarded about, about feedback. And it must be said that feedback, from anyone is not all feedback is not equal, but there are mm. people who can give you good feedback. And one of those people should be in theory, your boss. So mm. here's the, here's the trick for all of you control freaks. I am one. Uh, you are my people that we like to control all the variables. So instead <laughs> of, instead of waiting for your performance review, and let's say you're my boss. And I say, Ashley, you know, this has been a great meeting. Tell me what's one thing that I could do differently that would give better results. Mm. And the first time I ask you that, you're going to be like, what? No, you're good, Laura. But I keep asking you that. And you will start, not only you will start like looking for things. So, oh yeah, you know what? If Laura got to work, 15 minutes earlier, it would really give her a chance to get a, a, a head start on the day. So I'm going to tell her that. And mm -hmm. then you would start thinking, oh, maybe I should ask that to my boss. Mm -hmm. And if we keep up this process, when we get to the official performance review, there are no surprises. And, any, and anything you boss have you know, that you're dinging me for, we should have already had a conversation about it. So it actually should lead to improved results. Mm. And, I, 
and I'll tell a quick story on how I used this tool myself when I was working at this hospital. I had a, and, and I was in charge of training physicians on this software. And I would, you know, I was, had learned this tool and every week or so when I would have my one-on-one, ask my boss, hey, is there uh, something I should be doing differently? Or another way, another variation of this question is to ask, how can I communicate better with you, Ashley? Mm. And that's when it works at home too. So anyway, so my boss, one day he said, Laura, you know, I thought of something. He said that when you tell your jokes about your physicians, it sounds like you don't like them. And, mm. you know, I, you can tell I'm a little bit irreverent, a little bit fun, a little bit snarky maybe. And, okay, I, and if any physicians are on this call, I think physicians are great. But you put a bunch of them together, um, they, they can be a little ego-driven, and some are really good with technology, and some are not. And, you know, they just have, like, their their particular personalities. And so I very much enjoyed working with such smart people, but I would make fun of them every once in a while. But it was really all in good fun for me. You know, I would tell my little doctor jokes. But apparently it was coming across as I didn't like them, which was not true at all. But I'm not going to go tell people, hey, I, I don't mean, I really do like them. I just stopped telling them because I realized, I learned that something that I thought was positive and funny was not to everybody. Mm. And I would have never, ever gotten that without him telling me. Mm. Mm. Okay. And when we're kind of thinking a little bit about the event planner, I know for some people it feels vulnerable to like initiate. Yes. And I'm I'm curious to understand like what are some tips or best practices you have for somebody to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to put on this hat. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do this and they might feel very courageous, you know, stepping into something that uncomfortable for them. Mm-hmm. Um, cu- curious what advice you might have there. Well, you have to connect to purpose. I mean, yes, it it's it's hard to be courageous sometimes but what what helps us access our courage because we all have it in fact if you think about your childhood I'm sure there was a time that you really showed a lot of courage uh, for your age when when I was five I was very curious about electricity and I was asking lots of people, my well, lots of people, like my parents and my kindergarten teacher, I don't know who else, about to explain to me electricity. And the, somehow their explanations did not satisfy me. So I took these scissors and I contemplated this lamp that was lit in the room where I was sitting. And I, it took a lot of courage, but I really wanted to see what would happen if I cut the cord. <laughs> and um, it was using a pair of metal sewing scissors. It hurt a lot, but I got to see electrical shock, electrical flash. So I have courage. You have courage. Everybody has courage. So a way to access that is to think, why would I have planned some kind of event, say an open house or a, a thematic 
say we're going to have, we're going to bring in the vice president and he's going to, it's going to be ask me anything, or it's a brown bag lunch and you bring in some senior executives and it's ask me anything. We'll look at it, put on your eagle eyes, soar up a little bit and say, wow, what am I doing? I'm becoming a stronger leader by just bringing up the topic. I'm showing everyone that I care about communication. I care about this company. I care about um, resolving problems before they get too big. Or I care about people being able to, to bring up these topics that they're whispering about anyway. But let's nip them in the bud with some answers. And you can think, well, even if it's a complete fiasco, I am showing such courage, I am showing that I care, and I'm helping other people to be courageous too. Mm-hmm. So that's how, I, that's how I would think about it. Go, you know what, why would you, don't do it unless you really see a benefit? And, and the hardest kind of communication is from the bottom up, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what the event, and we, I'm using events in air quotes, is just a space for people to um, bring up issues, and and the and the t- the really well run tech companies or leading companies, people will do that. They'll just set up some kind of, especially the the companies that are in these high growth phases. Uh, they they need there needs to be a way that issues can be flat. It could even be a suggestion box. You know, it doesn't have to be even an event, but there has to be a channel that anyone can ask a question and get an answer. Mm, Beautiful. Okay. And kind of going back to executive presence, um, you know, you talked a little bit about how when you think about executive presence, you think about somebody who has like that foundation where they inspire confidence. What, What do you, is that something that you think people are naturally born with? I know that we can cultivate just about anything, but do you think, do you see that often as something that people just kind of have naturally? Well, some people have it naturally in that they are, well, you know, there's five personality traits and uh, I, I'm not a psychologist. I, it would take me a few minutes to remember them all, but one of them is agreeableness. Yeah. And so people who are low in agreeableness sometimes have a lot of courage in speaking up and being, and coming across as super confident, even though they're not really sure. But a lot of people do appear to be confident and inspired. I mean, we've seen this in so many companies. That's why you're, everybody listening to this, you know, step up. Don't let the idiots run the company just because they do have executive presence, but they don't have the intelligence. (laughs) They're just too ego driven. But absolutely, there are people that, you know, dress well, have good posture, and they maybe are loud and they're fearless and they just, you know, they have opinions and they let them be heard. And that's the kind of person who generally goes up the organizational chart without any trouble. And my mission is to get other people who are quieter and may have different perspectives to get them to speak up. And so it's not the company isn't only listening to the loud mouths. Uh-huh. Okay. And I actually, I love that you brought up the, um, big personality, the big five personality theory, because that's something that I, I love looking at, mm-hmm. and, um, learning from and anybody who hasn't looked at the big five personality theory, but 
for anybody taking notes, there's agreeableness, extroversion, conscientiousness, openness, and neuroticism. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. Ocean. Ocean. Yeah. Ocean. Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. And I'm curious, like, do you find that these five, how do you find it looks in the workplace when somebody embodies these big five personality traits? So when somebody um, has agreeableness, you talked about like that, that ease there with other people. What does it look like when somebody, how do you differentiate that from openness, for example? Well, agreeableness is like, that's the people pleaser side of things. Mm -hmm. And the easygoing, okay, so so on the positive, agreeableness is easy to work with. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, that's high value because the team can work faster when people are easy to work with. However, well, this, yeah, this brings the question. Go ahead. Uh, the problem a uh, high agreeableness people have is they don't like to confront about problems. They don't yeah. want to bring up problems. They're afraid of hurting people's feelings. Yeah. See, this is exactly what I was, but you were right. You were a few steps ahead of me, Laura. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's like, I think about my own agreeableness to work with and, you know, I'm very intentional in the things I create. I have a few ideas for any business relationship I go into of how it could look with workflow. And it has been a a huge challenge sometimes where I'm thinking to myself, for example, um, you know, I have a lot of different ways that I work, you know, whether I'm coaching somebody, I have a course, I write for Forbes, I do keynote speeches, all of the things. And every now and again, I'll get a really big consulting opportunity And we'll scope out the contract and it'll be like, all right, I'm supposed to do these five things. And then next thing I know, we have all these different other things going on. And on one hand, I'm like, dang, I really want to be agreeable and likable. And then on the other side, I'm like, I'm going to resent these people if Mm -hmm. I take everything that wasn't scoped out. So do you have any communication tools for the person who actually does fall into being very agreeable to the point where they kind of struggle with boundaries? Like what suggestions would you have um, for people with that? Uh, Well, it's preparation. It's no, I mean, it only takes a few conversations, a few meetings, a few experiences, the scope creep that you're talking about with uh, your uh, contract is to bring up these things because you know it's going to be hard to deal with them in the moment. So that's a, that's a fact, and you can get better at that. But in the meantime, you can say, put into your contract, put into, no, now any other meetings that come up, we were, we're going to do the, we're going to have to charge because, you know, I can't stay in business if I uh, give, you know, all my time away for free or, you know, I don't get a good uh, price for, for the value that I'm offering. So you need to deal with that up front. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, with uh, if you're on a team and somebody starts emailing you on the weekends, you can say, okay, people can email me anytime. I'm not answering until Monday. Uh Um, But if it's just acknowledging that things could happen and what are the consequences so that uh, putting those consequences out there ahead of time while you're feeling courageous or while it's in the, put it in your contract, put it in, 
in the in the verbal agreement, you know, this is, includes, you know, 10 meetings. It doesn't include 20. I would really, in, the whole workaround for avoiding <laughs> unpleasant confrontations is from somebody who hates confrontations. So my whole <laughs> life is designed to work well, but without them. And it has to do with setting those expectations ahead of time thinking ahead because you've had experience now you know the first time you didn't know now you know what are mm-hmm. the consequences and just spelling that out as well you know and past experience what i've found is that once we get into this we find other problems that we need to talk about so when that happens if it does this is what's going to happen we're going to fall mm-hmm. into a different price structure. And if that is not possible, then just realize that when we see that, we're just going to put it in the, on the, in the parking lot and deal with it later. Okay. So this is helpful, but I also know that a lot of the times people just don't anticipate things that, you know, it's like, you don't know what you don't know about what they're going to throw at you. Right. It's a whole thing. And so I'm curious to kind of understand here what can be said you know, when, you know, somebody has some sort of misunderstanding, for example, a client wants more of them. Um, for me, what I found that works for anybody taking notes is I come at it from an angle of seeking clarity or just wanting yes. to just workflow. And yes. so for me, usually I'll email and say, Hey, just wanted to make sure I have clarity on our workflow. Um, you know, my understanding is this, it seems like you guys might want that. I'm happy to offer that as well. If you need it, we would just have to rescope it or something like that. So I kind of look at it with a neutral lens of like, Oh, I'm looking for clarity. You guys seem to need some support that we didn't plan for happy to do it. If, if, if you want to come up with a way or something like that. Yes. And, and you may need to have a conversation. That's that, I mean, what you just said, the seeking clarity. I mean, that's gold platinum even. So good. <laughs> yes. a win for Ashley, so, <laughs> but I'm going to give you two, give your audience two difficult conversation starters. How about that? Yeah, that sounds great. Because, uh, you know, obviously, or probably the other person has a different point of view about asking you for more work. Like, how hard could it be, Ashley? But yeah. so, so, you, so you need to have a conversation about it. And I think the asking for clarity and possibly bringing up consequences is gold. But here are two questions you can use to bring up any kind of uh, tricky, delicate situation. You, the question number one would be, so Ashley, how are you feeling about this thing that we discovered? How are you feeling about? You know, it's, it's a very soft opening. And then you get to say, well, what I'm feeling is that, uh, you know, that it's not working, that I'm, we've scope creeped this thing and we need to renegotiate. So that's, that's one. How are you feeling about? And number two would be, so Ashley, what do you think is going on with this project? Mm. And just to get their point of view and, and, you know, you want to come to an agreement of like, oh, this actually is more work than we initially thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, we actually are having more meetings than we initially planned. Mm-hmm. Well, that has a cost component to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is helpful. And I know that also when we look at these five personality traits that you kind of mentioned, mm-hmm. there's 
agreeableness and then there's openness and that usually reflects like somebody's openness to experience whether it's imagination or being adventurous or whatever have you like what do you see with the big five personality traits of somebody who has that openness to experience in the workplace like how do they tend to look in your eyes and where do you think that that's a great thing or where do you think that there's something for them to look at well, I think it's overall, I see it as I, as an open person myself. <laughs> I think it's great. What could be better? The, um, the openness, it's also openness to new ideas. But there is the, there's also the aspect that, of course, my new ideas are probably better than your new ideas. Uh, so, that, so there's that ego uh, aspect of it. But I, I think every quality you have to see the value of it yourself and being mm-hmm. open to new ideas and new experiences is, is for the most part positive. When is it not positive? When you're not, when you get um, the open people can get um, seduced by the bright, shiny object. Oh, let's try this bright, shiny object. Oh, look, there's another bright, shiny object. So the distraction is, you know, I guess the open people have to watch out their ability to focus. And that would be something Mm -hmm. I would be, you know, just to be aware of. But every quality has value. But you, the person, you have to see your own value. You cannot wait for other people to see it in you. Mm, Okay. I love this. And when I look at the big five, I also see, you know, extroversion, conscientiousness, neuroticism. Neuroticism is such a little treasure trove of a topic. Um, What do you you think about when you think of neuroticism? For me, I think of like high anxiety, micromanager, you know, all the kind of exhausting things. That is, I I think anxiety is the, um, that's, that's the, that's what trademark. I think of. Yeah, the trademark. Very nervous. And uh, that's a that's a tough one. And um, women overall have more tendency to have neuroticism, higher neuroticism levels. It's something to manage. It, it has to be with insecure to be to feel that insecurity. I think over age, as you age, as you have more experience the neuroticism calms down. It's more of a factor in people in their 20s who uh, struggle because they're finding their place in the world and they're finding out what it's like to actually have a job. And um, I have a daughter who graduated from college in three years. She was so excited to get her job with this insurance company. Nine months later, she quit it and she, she was like, oh, this adulting is not not what I thought it was going to be. So <laughs> there's a, um, yeah, neuro- neuroticism is, uh, it can be a source of energy. So the positive side of that is that you have energy to solve problems, to move forward. And I, but I do think it does uh, mitigate with age. And I wanted to say something about, what was it? Of course, extroversion is, that you know those are the people that naturally do well and in if all other factors are equal it's the extrovert that who's going to make more waves in a company oh conscientiousness though those are the people that i work with the most in coaching and i just love that cuz i know they are so conscientious they're doing this 
stellar platinum diamond studded quality work. They're so mm. conscientious. They really do the high quality work. But if they're an introvert and they're highly conscientious, then they're probably not getting that work recognized. Mm. Okay. Beautiful. This is so helpful. I love the big five and anybody who's getting into it, you can Google the big five personality traits of extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism, openness to experience, is there anything I haven't asked you about executive presence that you think, or communication in general, that you think all of our listeners that are taking notes right now should definitely think about? Oh, wow. Well, that's, I think, I feel like I've done a, this massive brain transfer of all my knowledge, but I think the the points of view of, of what your listeners really want to get is that they're in charge more than they think they are. Um, mm-hmm. it's really like, what is your next step? What do you want the next step to be? What would you like it to be? Now we all have had the experience of not getting what we want. So that's part of it too, but it's this, uh, being able to pivot, looking for projects that look interesting, reaching out to people who seem interesting, really, um, communicating in a way that you're proud of yourself and you can be proud of yourself for um, affirming people, for pointing out things very specific to them that they're doing well. Uh, You can be proud of yourself for raising a difficult question. You can be proud of yourself of, you know, reminding your boss of the value your team has added on a particular project. But it's really you taking the reins of your life, your career, your communication. And communication is the perfect tool to help you uh, reach your goals or move in the direction you want to go. It's free. It's under your control. And, you know, some qualities are are, uh, more success-friendly than others in a way because I've I've said so many times that extroverts to me, I guess as a bitter introvert, they they have this seemingly natural advantage, but... The introverts, we have the advantage of being better listeners. So that's another, you know, quality to leverage in your communication. But yeah, the, the tip to is that you can take your communication, the way you talk people affects the way they feel. And that is something that can move you forward towards whatever goal, because among the, your audience is yourself. You know, you want to make sure you're talking to yourself in a way that's inspiring also. Mm, this has been so great. Where can everybody learn from you, work with you? Where can everybody find you? Well, the I think the fastest line would be to connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to see you on LinkedIn as Laura Camacho, Culture Fixer. I'm on uh, Instagram as The Mixonian. The company I created is called Mixonian Institute. And my website Uh, is mixonian.com and mixonian is spelled m as in mary i-x-o-n-i-a-n so the website linkedin instagram take your pick but please i would love to connect with you and um, answer any questions you have thank you thank you thank you this was so much fun hey 
Hey there, it's Ash here, and I'm just reflecting on the episode with Laura Camacho, and I just love that we talk about executive presence because when I think about executive presence, I think about trust, but I also think about charisma. And it's funny, the origin of the word charisma comes from Greek, which is charis, which means favor and grace, and it's rooted in the mid-17th century. Um, And I just find it so interesting that it kind of evolved into the word charisma, which is really just grace. And when you define it in the American Webster's Dictionary, it says compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. Uh, Another definition and alternative is a divinely conferred power of talent. And I think that uh, a lot of people may be operating on the belief that you cannot create charisma without being fake or inauthentic. And that's something that I want to challenge right now. More often than not, people who have charisma are not being a certain person, but rather they're comfortable in their own skin and they're grounded and they're present. So my question for you in the workplace is, are you really present at work? Are you on your phone? Are you distracted? Are you thinking about other projects? Are you really able to ground yourself when you're talking to your colleagues? And number two, are you trustworthy? Do you inspire trust? Do people trust you to get your work done on time? There's so many different ways you can build trust. Doing what you say you're going to do, getting your work done on time, showing up on time. I think timeliness is actually subconsciously a way people build and ruin trust. Um, And as far as charisma goes, I think it's um, when you are in your body. So asking yourself like, Where are you not comfortable in your own skin? What's keeping you from that? Is it something around your body image? Is it something around your intelligence? Like, are you feeling like you don't have the skill or or something like that to do your job? And then the question would be, how can you get more confident in what you're doing? Is it an issue of actually tending to your health? Or is it an issue of actually just learning a certain skill that you're feeling insecure deep down and you're not able to get grounded at work because you don't think you know something. And and then you can kind of get into action and asking yourself, what can I do to get more confidence so I can step into my presence and my charisma and my grace, which is what the Greeks really intended the word charis to mean, which is grace. Um, and eventually after the 17th century, they turned it into the word charisma, charisma. So I just absolutely love this idea of executive presence. I think there's so much data on authenticity and what it really means to be authentic. And what I want to invite you to do is actually ask yourself, who is the most authentic boss or leader that you've ever had? Like who, who was that person for you? Uh, in my case, I had a really authentic boss when I worked at a political consulting firm. His name was Dan And he was my last corporate job and I loved working for him. And when I think about who he was, he was a listener. He never felt like he, he always felt like he wanted to hear what I had to say. But when he walked into the room, because he was so respectful of other people, other people also wanted to hear what he had to say, not just, you know, a one-way street. And, And I find that it's just so powerful to really tune into what has a leader looked like for you in your life? How can you embody more of that presence in in yourself? And I know that most of the time, a lack of charisma to me is just a lack of presence. So sending you a lot of love, really excited for this episode. And uh, yeah, hope you're doing well in quarantine. Thanks again for 
tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.